Inventions keep the world spinning. From fire and the wheel to today's high tech, inventions power change. Turn your inventions into reality. Learn how to get your ideas to market. This is Invent Anything with John Cronin. This episode we will cover how to get a patent on your invention. There are many subtopics to discuss. Like first, choosing a patent attorney or a patent agent. In a second topic, how you set up, how you get ready to create that patent document. In a third topic, how do you ensure you actually get a patent for all the work that you're going to put in? How do you spend your money wisely? Topic four, dealing with trap doors and obtaining a patent. What could go wrong? Topic five is office actions. How you work with the patent attorney and the examiner to debate whether or not you should be allowed to get the patent. Topic six, very interestingly, talking about continuations and divisionals of patents, which naturally come up when you make decisions after you know that you can get an issuance. And topic seven, we'd all be interested in this for sure. What about the fees? And then we'll wrap up. First, let's talk about audience. You may not be familiar with patents or need a quick refresher. This is for you. You may want to learn about patents from the process of obtaining a patent, or you may be in management or supervisory level that you may want to get a briefer on the patent process. How will it go? How much effort is required? You may be a first-timer, and you want to get a good short education before you start. In previous episodes, we talked about enablement, which is required to get a patent, but you also need novelty from the prior art. This episode helps to determine what road ahead to get a patent. So let's start off in topic number one, choosing a patent attorney or agent. The first thing to understand is a patent attorney is a real attorney that passes a patent bar and also the law bar. And we know plenty of attorneys. A patent agent is someone that passes the patent office bar and is able to practice a patent prosecution between you and the patent office. So they are different. Many people will choose an agent because they're probably going to be cheaper. Uh, and some people will choose an attorney if they think there's some litigation or some licensing ahead. One thing you should know is you can write up your own patent, although I certainly not, would not recommend it. Just spend a few minutes on Google with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office rules and regulations, and you'll know why you shouldn't try to write up your own patent. You can use that enablement episode we discuss and follow this because that will help you minimize your fees. You could get a lot of work done and then start with your patent attorney, lowering their hourly cost. When it comes to costs, many patent attorneys and patent agents charge by the hour. Some do by the case. You can always negotiate a good deal if you have a number of cases. Patent attorneys don't need to physically meet you anymore. In today's world of Zoom or WebEx, etc., you simply need to get online with them and to talk about your invention. Patent attorneys specialize in certain fields, just like doctors would, a spinal surgeon or a heart surgeon. Patent attorneys specialize in things like patent prosecution or patent litigation or patent licensing. Patent attorneys also specialize in the type of field that they can write patents in. There's not a requirement that they can't write patents in any field, but you should look at their expertise because patent attorneys and patent agents have to show the patent office that they have a technical background. So maybe an electrical engineer patent attorney is best to write up your circuit, but you might not want a mechanical engineer writing up the patent for your circuit. One thing to keep in mind is when you talk to patent attorneys or patent agents, you are immediately under NDA when you start talking. So you don't have to worry that they will take your idea and steal it, for instance. But you need to know that they have to clear your invention from overlaps and conflicts, just like any attorney would. And then there are large firms versus smaller firm decisions. 
Large firms may have a bigger bench strength and many more people to talk to inside of their company, where smaller firms, you might be meeting the person who does everything. And of course, there might be a lot of difference between cost versus capability. So be careful. Just like you would hire any vendor, uh, you can always ask lots of questions. And some questions I'd ask the attorney is what is their specific success rate, percentage-wise, of getting patents through the patent office? Although they can't guarantee anything, they should certainly have a sort of rule of thumb of what their personal success rate is. Uh, what about the starting versus ending claims? You're always going to have a patent submitted with starting claims, but where do we end up on the claims we're going to end up getting? What level of prior art will be required, and who will do that work? And who will write the case? Is it going to be the person you're talking to, the partner, or are they going to have an associate, or are they going to even vendor off the writing to India? These are questions you need to ask. I can't cover all the questions here, but it's certainly important to ask some of the key questions. Let's move to the next topic, setting up getting ready to create a patent document. As I mentioned before, you can of course Google patents and do simple searches to read like patents in your domain to get an idea of what the goalpost is. You can do some work before you call your patent attorney and use sort of a hierarchical structure uh, to start your patent. Start with the top figures that you're gonna need to describe your invention and determine in those figures where the novelty is. Once you do that, you can now be well on your way to call a patent attorney. It's kind of like, I look at it a metaphor like a real estate agent. A real estate agent will uh, help you maybe find your house and help you lock your house in and actually negotiate with you. But you might want to know something about the area and your cost and things before you call up the real estate agent to save you both some time. Same with the patent attorney. It might be good to know what the key figures are and what novelty you have before you talk to the patent attorney. Together, you and your attorney will help determine the prior art. And this is an area that I would say that you should be ruthless about. You need to search the web, of course, and any other references you can. Many times there are ways to search other languages. There are firms out there that will do prior art searches, even crowds of people, and they are expensive at some point. But you need to weigh the value of the cost of the patent, which we'll talk about, to getting a really good prior art search. Because it doesn't make sense to go through the patent process and pay your patent attorney and get in front of the patent examiner to find out that your invention has so much prior art that it can't be patented. One of the things that's going to come up a lot, and you're going to hear this word with your patent attorney, is obvious. The obvious regulations that the patent office have are very different than the layman's view of obviousness. So don't be the judge of obviousness. Let the attorney, or even better, let the examiner be the obvious judge. As you start to talk about obvious in your patent, please defer to your patent attorney and even later to the patent examiner, because they're the ultimate judge. One of the key things about prior art is that you have to determine and differentiate your novelty of your invention from the prior art. You may start to think that your invention has lots of different points of novelty, but as you look at the prior art, there may be less and less available. There's probably always good novelty, but you need to differentiate your novelty from the prior art. And once again, patent attorneys are good at this, and this is a great way to get set up for creating your patent document. You need to play an active role here. I mean, this is your property, right? I mean, if you are going to be selling your property, like in real estate, you need to play an active role. Because uh, many times uh, a real estate agent might not know everything about your property, about its value or its problems. So likewise, your patent attorney is not a magician. They're not going to know everything about the background of your patent, invention, etc. So you need to play an active role. You also need to understand the time frame. Patents getting to the patent office fast is the name of the game. But also getting the patent out might be very important to your business. So there is this fast-tracking capability where you pay extra, where you might get a patent out 
in maybe two or three months or less than a year. Uh, you might consider what a patent can do for you. We actually talked about this in a previous episode. So it may be worth more money to actually put in uh, fast tracking to get the patent out sooner. And understand the difference between what I might call a paper patent and one that has data or prototypes behind it. Paper patents are usually created, they need enablement just like any patent, but they're usually created to get a position. Whereas uh, uh, patents that have data or prototypes, they may need more and more information uh, to actually verify the enablement of your invention. If you're gonna write a paper patent, you might consider getting an expert to help you with that. Let's go to topic three, ensuring you get a patent, spending your money wisely. There are a number of rejections you should know about. Like 101 rejection, it really shouldn't become an issue when you work with good patent attorneys and patent agents. A 101 rejection means simply that the subject matter is ineligible for a patent. And that means that the subject matter that you define in your enablement wasn't well defined. And I think with good patent examiners, uh, they'll always look for anything they can reject that's wrong. But with a good patent attorney or patent agent, you should really minimize the 101 rejection uh, where the examiner may think that your claims relate to a type of invention that's ineligible for patent. The more likely kind of prior art and objections you get is a 102 rejection. A 102 rejection is likely also not to be an issue if you did a good search. An application for a U.S. patent for an invention filed within the patent office can be rejected under what's called a 102 rejection if they find a single prior art reference that teaches every element in your patent application. So you're going to see that it's less likely that you're going to get a 102 rejection if, if you insist, did a really good prior art search. 103 is a rejection that's very, very common. Basically, a vast majority of patent applications at the patent office will receive at least one, if not many, 103 rejections. As a matter of fact, uh, by way of example, in just one area of the patent office, 90% of all patents get rejected with a 103. But basically, getting a 103 rejection means that the examiner considers that it's obvious between the prior art and your invention. And I do believe that you should really think about making sure that uh, a 103 rejection is something you obtain because if you don't get a 103 rejection, it could mean that the examiner is not doing a very good job. And later on, your patent may actually be invalidated because of a 103 rejection. Overcoming 103 is really dealing with the prior art and differentiating your prior art uh, and, and your claim from each other. One certain way that we know to overcome the 103 is to use something that we call the master disclosure. This is an example where you add more and more examples and more and more improvements to the invention. So you always have something to draw on to add to a claim limitation. So for example, supposing you invented a new auto repair tool, like you put a light on the end of a socket wrench. In a master invention kind of disclosure, you might talk about other things beyond just the light and the socket wrench. You might talk about how the battery snaps in. You might talk about the handle and how it's easy to use. You may talk about the lens and how it's easy to clean where it's positioned for grease. You may talk about a battery life indicator. You may talk about auto shut off and shut on. You may talk about specifically where the switch is. Think about all those things that this sort of repair tool for a socket wrench with the light for your invention. So the master disclosure idea says add all these things in to the specification. Because if you can and you get rejected for 103 because they found a... Uh, a repair tool like a socket wrench with the light on it, then you may be able to add the snapping battery holder or the uh, battery life auto shut off and shut on uh, to distinguish your invention over the prior art.
Sometimes you end up with having what's called two broader claim syndrome. This is a patent attorney strategy at some point. Patent strategy may say, why don't we get the broadest claim that we think we can get possible and start with that, knowing that we're going to get rejections. So you might say that we are going to just put a socket wrench with the light versus something that has more limitations like a socket wrench with the light with the auto, auto on and off or a cleanable lens. So sometimes you get rejected because your patents are just too overly broad. You can even study the allowance rate. Uh, in one case, we've, we found an examiner who over a 20-year period only allowed a few patents. We knew just then that it would be almost impossible to get a patent through, sort of luck of the draw. One of the things about that we'll talk about in a moment is the world of office actions and how well or not you can do based upon this work on the front end, ensuring you're getting a patent. But let's go on now and talk about trapdoors in obtaining a patent. So topic number four, trapdoors in obtaining a patent. One word of statistics here. You might be fascinated to know that 50% of all the patents that are filed get approved. So is it a coin toss or is it the work that you do with the prior art and good enablement? You may have missed prior art due to lack of experience or focus on it, or you might decide not to spend the money on good prior art. That might be one way that you don't get an approved patent. If you don't understand enough about the claims and you approve for issuance, finding out your patent has almost no value because it's easy to invent around. So sometimes you get patent claims and you feel really good you got a patent, but when you look at the claims, they're so limited that anybody could get around it. So we need to understand that because you as the owner of the patent and paying the bill need to understand how broad the claims are and whether or not you would approve those claims for issuance so that at the end of the day, the claims are going to be valuable to you. One of the things that makes your patent less valuable as well is patents that can't be easily reverse engineered. That means that it's almost impossible to find violators. So you want to make sure that your patent claims can be evaluated externally uh, because that adds to the value of a patent. You have patent claims that many, many times require multiple entities to violate. So it's not very good to have a patent where it takes multiple parties to violate it. So if three steps were done, done by one company and two steps were done by another company and you got a patent on those five steps, that means you have to bring both of those parties together as contributory infringers. You may miss something about the patent that you're in there with a co-inventor and your co-inventor has equal and distinct rights as you. So you need to get an agreement between you and your co-inventor to know what to do because you don't want a co-inventor to be able to license the patent without you and vice versa. You may have divulged the invention earlier. This is another trapdoor in a patent. Uh, for instance, if you if you not under NDA showed your invention in public and you ended up getting a patent because you didn't tell the patent attorney or the examiner about this, later on you decide to uh, use your patent uh, to sue someone, the evidence may show up that you had divulged this with greater than a year and then your patent gets invalidated. So make sure you're within the year time frame. One thing is that you might want to adjust your claims, uh, but you might not have enough enablement in the spec. So one of the trapdoors is not having a well-written specification so that you can't get the claims that you want when you adjust them. So going back to that master disclosure right here. A lot of times there's another trapdoor in obtaining a patent that you taught too much of the patent. For example, maybe you've claimed the ratchet with the auto on-off light, but you also taught improvements like the need of an easy way to replace the battery. But you don't say how you replace the battery. So someone reading your patent therefore would recognize that's a problem and they could end up with the patent on the snapping battery holder on your ratchet with the light. You may get stopped by pending applications that just get laid open. This happens quite a bit. Speed is everything with the patent office 
And you could have done a great search inside the patent office to find out there's no prior art. You file your invention and then about four months or a year later, you have patents just laid open a couple months ago that become prior art. So this is called the black cloud issue and this is always an issue. So it's really important to do a good prior art search, but don't be surprised if you have some sort of pending application that gets just laid open. Now, as I promised you, we'd talk about office actions and what they are. Basically, in the United States patent system, there's an office action as a document written by the patent examiner in response to your patent application after the examiner has examined the application. The pat patent office cites prior art and gives reasons why the examiner has allowed or approved the applicant's claim and why they would reject a claim. Office actions are really just nothing more than debates between the examiners and are generally subjective language and interpretations. It might surprise you to find out that the average patent takes about 4.2 office actions to get allowed. Yes, some patents are allowed sooner, but many more are allowed at 6 or 10 office actions. Also remember that for every two office actions, there is another thing that may be required called the Request for Continual Examination, or RCE. So there's extra fees of $800 or $1,600 to continue the debate with the patent office. Office actions usually return three or four references of other patents. So you as the patent owner should really read these references to be very knowledgeable. Don't leave this up to the patent attorney. I've found this so many times that somehow a modest amount of information by the inventor is given to the patent attorney and they let the patent attorney make all the rest of the decisions. So I would recommend that you do, you do not do this. I would recommend that as, mu as much as you can to be actively involved. Remember that you know more about the technology than the, the patent attorney. Sometimes you can get an interview with the examiner to help explain your invention. And this is a good process of building a relationship with the examiner and understanding what they will allow or not. So it's also good to bring in creative thinking tools into the prosecution, as many times you need to redo claims in a very different way so you can get patents issued. I could tell you personally the story of a patent that I had that got rejected for over eight years at IBM. We then put a new patent attorney on the case, and he was able to rewrite the claims in a totally creative and different way. Same patent, new claims, we got it through. And that, by the way, went on to be one of the most important patents IBM ever had. So I can tell you that bringing in creative thinking to simply change the way you're thinking about the claims could be a way of getting your patent through the office. Another thing about office actions, it's like running a race. Many times you keep trying harder and harder and you can't see the goal line. It doesn't look like the examiner is being convinced. But then almost through sheer endurance, you can start to see that the examiner will allow some claims and you can see the goal line lifting your spirits and almost feeling elated. I do know that feeling as an inventor and working with clients that it seems like it's going to go nowhere and then all of a sudden you find an opening with the examiner. So as we continue on how to get a patent, we'll talk about the costs, which may totally surprise you. But we'll now examine something that always comes up as you get closer to obtaining the patent, and that is sort of this multiplying effect that patents have, where one patent can become multiple patents. So now let's talk about topic six, continuations and divisionals. Continuations and divisionals. A continuation patent application is a patent application that continues the examination process. It lets you kind of continue to argue with the patent office for broader or different scope of claims. The original application is often referred to as the parent, and the successive applications are referred to as the children. The claim in a continuation patent application will have a priority date of the pat patent uh, for the parent. Importantly, any continuation must be filed before the issuance or the abandonment of your patent application. Remember, once again, dates in the patent office are really vital. Continuations are pretty costly. They could cost between four dollars and $5,000 to file. And they could typically occur to the five or fifteen thousand in the examination process. So that's another twenty thousand dollars to do continuations. 
So it would be best not to do continuations if you can help it to essentially make sure that you get the patent claims uh, right off the bat. So you just have to work with the patent attorney and the examiner to get your patent through, but notice the continuation and continuation costs may follow. One of the things that's important about uh, patents is to have an open continuation. I can tell you that uh, having if someone was to buy your patent and you had an open continuation, they may consider that very valuable because there may be something in the specification that they can continue based on the earlier filing date. I can tell you in a very large Fortune 500 company, I helped sell five or six patents uh, for several millions of dollars. I think it was $5 million. And come to find out when I talked to the Fortune 500 company as the buyer, that they did not buy the patents for the claims. They bought one, one of the patents for the claims that they could extend through a continuation. So make sure you're in a position to always keep a continuation open if you can. Now we're going to move on to a divisional. Uh, what is a divisional? A patent can only claim one invention. Sometimes during the course of examination, an examiner identifies more than one invention in the claims. In that instance, a divisional application can be filed for a second invention. This divisional receives the same patent filing date as the parent, which is great news. So divisionals can create a slew of new patents over the 20-year lifetime. One example is, supposing we go back to that ratchet with the light, but then you add in the specification a way that the battery can be charged by the action of using the handles. You also added a way that the light can be aimed in a focused way or in a broader way by a switch. You also added a way that the light only worked when the socket was installed. All these can be separate patents based upon that first patent filing date because you added it to the specification. The patent office only allows you one invention per patent, and the patent office may have considered each of those light ratchets to be different inventions. So that's what a divisional is. In some cases, I personally have had one patent turned into 10. So they're kind of fun if, to get divisionals, and you can do that by loading up your specification with added improvements. One of the things is you can... You, cannot add new material in division, although any of the new claims that you'll be given will have the priority date of the patent, but any new material add, if you get a claim around that, you'll have to have the, the date of the new material. At any time during the lifetime of the application, you can convert a normal application into a divisional application by amending it by, to request. However, you cannot convert a patent after it's been granted. A divisional must be filed no later than three months after the publication or acceptance of the patent application. The divisional must include at least one claim that is supported by the material in the patent. Divisional patent costs are also expensive in the area of the five dollars to $10,000. And divisional patents enable you to divide examiner claims from the parent application. And this is an ideal way to take a single patent and, ex and expand it. There are a lot of fees in the patent system uh, and, and we should talk about each one of them just quickly. Just searching uh, the prior art could it be anywhere from 1,000 to 5,000. Sometimes people want to value the patent claim before they write up the patent, and that can be anywhere from $4,000 to $10,000. There's usually $800 or $1,000 in initial filing fees. You can file through PCT, uh, and, and that allows you patents in multiple countries. That could be five or $6,000. Patent drafting by your patent attorney or your uh, patent agent could be up to $12,000. Prosecution fees as it heads could be $18,000. Appeal costs, as we mentioned, multiple uh, office actions, etc., could be up to six to ten thousand, and then finally issuance fees of eighteen hundred dollars. So you add all these up, there's a tremendous amount of fees uh, with patents uh, fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Maybe one single patent with a lot of luck could be fifteen or twenty. So let's wrap up. We talked about choosing a patent attorney or patent agent and the difference between them. Uh, do a little bit of homework on your patent attorney or patent agent uh, to figure out it's not just a cost decision, it's an expertise decision. And in setting up to get that patent ready, it turns out you can save some money 
and you could do some searching and you could figure out what the first figures are and what's novel. That'll save you and your patent attorney a lot of time. To ensure you do get a patent and spend your money wisely, there's so many things that you could do that you could help with, with prior art and understanding the novelty and, and making sure that you and your patent attorney do an exhaustive search in the prior art. We talked about the many things that could go wrong uh, in obtaining a patent, the trapdoors, and so we should avoid these trapdoors where we can. Uh, one key trapdoor is to make sure you have a master disclosure sitting inside your patent so you can always extend it to get your claims. We talked about office actions and the process with the patent office and the many ways they're going to try to reject your patent. That's their job is to try to show you that your patent is rejected. They usually start off from the negative of, of having a 101 rejection, whether or not your patent is eligible for a patent or 102, where they found an exact reference or 103, where they actually found through obviousness that your patent is a combination of other pieces of art they found. And that's the most common. It happens 90% of the time. So be expecting that. But once you've gone through the office actions, it looks like you're going to get your patents. Congratulations. But you can also keep going with continuations and divisionals. You can continue the debate with the patent examiner through continuations to try to get broader claims. But you can also take your patent and get other patents associated with it called divisionals. To continue the journey, though, recognize that all this costs money and the fees can be substantial. So remember, uh, when you want to get a patent, these uh, seven topics should be helpful. Also, please subscribe if you like and join our blog on Invent Anything.